Greet each one in Christ's name this morning. Turn to Luke chapter 12 for our opening text. You remember Wednesday evening I had shared a little bit about some CDs that I was listening to on if you had one year to live. Well, that's a guarantee that none of us have even today. But what thoughts would you have? What would start going through your mind if you were given the notice today that on March, what is today, the 17th? 18th of 2013, I'm going to call you home. Now, you've got 365 days to to do what you want to do. Well, that's more of a guarantee than any one of us have this morning. We have no guarantee of tomorrow. But our life is so short, it's so brief. Let's read verses 15 to 34 here in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 15. And he said unto them, Take heed, beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my, my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruit and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, for what ye shall eat, neither for the body, what ye shall put on. The life is... The life is more than meat, and the body more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouses nor barns, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you, when taking thought, can add one to his stature one cubit? If ye then be able to do that which is, is least, take heed. Why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto, the, unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothe the grass, which is today and the field, which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not, and seek not ye that, seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather seek ye first, seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that ye have, and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Our Lord, this morning we thank you for your goodness, your kindness, your love, your provision. And you understood us as frail man that we 
are very lax in our understanding of you. And you have made it so simple for us to understand, simply enough that we can grasp that we need you as our Lord and Savior. And so this morning, Lord, we just thank you for that. And we pray for your presence, your spirit's presence. And through the name of Jesus, Satan, we just command you bound before God. And God, we commit that binding to you, but don't allow Satan and any of his evil forces, spirits, or powers hinder us here this morning that we might hear your words speaking to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Every day, 250,000 people die. Now, I'm going to be reminiscing some of this, of this message or these tapes that I was listening to. Maybe I should on the forefront finish my thought. I had said that uh, Wednesday evening I shared that this, I found out later that it, it wasn't from a Christian setting. In fact, these people, this man that wrote it is a Buddhist, and he said for the last 30 years he has been, his job has been helping people prepare for death. And he taught, and it went into more and more and med- into meditation, and I actually didn't even finish the series because of that. But the thoughts that he brought out in the beginning was what challenged me. If he had only what, one year to live, what would you do? Here's what he said some people did, or will do. Some people would change their occupation. Some would work less hours. Some would pursue a long-desired skill or pursue the things that I love. Some would find my true work. And remember that phrase. Some would diligently pursue and mend all hurting relationships. Some would adapt a more gentle pace of life. Some would stop to smell the roses Others would plant the roses. And so what he's saying in the secular world, as people prepare to die, as they're given that notice of death, all of a sudden life takes on a different dimension. Like they're going through life not doing what they really want to do. And he gives the example or No, this is in the other series, and I was listening to on the dream giver or the dreams. He says that it's like a young boy who, as he grows up, he wants to either be a firefighter or he wants to be an EMT or that type of 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 a thought. Now, what comes to your mind, us as adults, when someone mentions that? In other words, what that boy is thinking or feeling is he wants to be someone who helps others. And it seems like that is the core that's within each one of us. The world around us has given us a thought like the rich man here that I need to provide for myself. I need to lay up for myself so that when I get to that point where I can, for many years, I can take my knees, I can eat, drink, and be merry. That's all inverted. It's all about me. And we'll never find that God's will for us, or what I'm going to refer to as his dream for us, is inverted. It's always reaching out to others. That's what Richard read in the devotional this morning. When, when Ananias and Sapphira shared that, that, that was an inverted concept. They were going to try and serve God to their own glory or to their own benefit. That's not what God wants for us. Our, our calling is always to reach out. And, and it is true that many are given that one year to live. I was just rem- reminiscing of that a year ago about right now. We found out that our daughter had cancer. And we didn't know. You don't know. What is the extent of this? 
What will happen in a year from now? You don't know. You don't even want to think that far, hardly. When Lil's brother had surgery the other week, his wife, like I shared Wednesday evening, said, I didn't know. Would I be a widow by the time surgery was finished or not? God chose not. He is recovering very well. So is our daughter. But it changes the perspective of life. It changes how we view life when we look at it in that type of a brevity. We tend to think that, well, life's going to go on. It's going to go on. And here's maybe a thought that we forget. It says, our disappointments are often God's appointments. And you look back at some of the crises you faced in life. What did they do for you? We looked at them as, as, as a hiccup in my, my journey from, in success. We looked at them as a tragedy, maybe, maybe a calamity. I mean, it just the, the life stopped. The world came to an end. Our career came to an end or whatever it might be. We were all of a sudden at the dead end of a street, and we couldn't even get turned around to get out. But remember that our disappointments are often God's appointments. In other words, if I had one year to live, I would probably change the way I view any one of you or anyone that I'll meet from this time on. I remember after, I think it was the day after Dad's, uh, Dad's funeral, we had went, my brother and I went to uh, get some medicine from Mom. And, and you just felt like, well, wait a minute. The world needs to come to an end. I mean, things need to stop. People need to wake up. We're going through some hard times. No, we went to Walmart to get medication. People were hustling and bustling about, getting things bought, taking care of life, moving on. And just recently, I forget now who it was that, was, that faced that very same thing, that they had buried their parent, one of their parents, and, and just felt like the world should come to an end. It should stop. People should realize what we're going through. But no, it doesn't. It goes on. And that's because when death does strike or calamity does strike, reality sets in. We realize, wait a minute. What is really life all about? Where is life really going to go? What am I really wanting to do in life? And so that brings us back to that quote that he given that he had given there is to find my true work or God's plan for me. Now that might be to be a housewife, that might be to be a mother, it might be to work somewhere, it might be a carpenter, it might be a farmer, it might be something else also. I might have a wrong view of what God really wants for me. Maybe I am basing my view on life as to so that I can keep up with, with whoever else or succeed in whoever else. And I just was challenged with that in thinking of this message today. And, and Friday again, I was on a delivery, and it was out in Illinois, and it was, it was like you looked around, and way out in the distance there was a house, and way over there there was a house, and nothing but corn and bean fields in between. Now you have to be a Paul or a Gary or an Ian to recognize what that means to a farmer. It's just like, wow, you mean these people get to live here? You know, and, and so it helps us to realize, now what would, why would that be so important to me? Why would that wow me so? Well, there's nothing wrong with farming. Maybe that's where God wants those people. But maybe he has a work for me that I'm shunning because it's affecting my, my goal that I had in life. My goal that I had in life. That author goes on to say, to prepare to die, we must change our goals in life. 
To prepare to die, we must change our goal in life. Now let's continue in Luke chapter 12. Drop down to verse 41, and we'll read through verse 47. Then Peter said unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us, or even to all? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portions of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you, that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men's servants and maidservants, and eat and drink and be drunken, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And the servant which knew his Lord's will, and prepared not himself, And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. And so he's giving that, he's explaining that parable that some of us, some of us, I'm going to say it that way because it's today. Some of us lose focus. Some of us are losing focus of really why God has placed us here upon this earth. And God has given each one of us a will. God has given each one of us a purpose. We're born with that. And if I may maybe exaggerate that a little bit, we go back into Genesis 1, and we look at at God's dream for mankind. He created an earth for him, and and he created a helpmeet for him. He set him up in this this world because that was his dream for mankind. And And he says that I even made them in my image. And so we are made in the likeness of God. And then as we fast forward that, we look at David. God had a plan for David as a young boy. God had that plan for him. And David took that and allowed God to use it. Now, was David's plan immediately fulfilled? Was David immediately went, did he go from a shepherd to a king, even though he was anointed king? He went for years in going what seemed like the wrong direction, like opposition that didn't seem fair, and that, that wasn't fair. And we'll come, we'll remember that also. But as we take time to plant the roses, what are, our, what are we really doing? To prepare to die, preparing to die is the most healing act of a lifetime. Now, why is that true? We don't like death. Even to kill a mouse is not... Yes, we enjoy hunting. But there's something, as you realize, that there's, there's something about death that... What, what is it? Do we dread it? Do we fear it? We don't like it? Do we ever get over it? Well, not according to you that work in, in the medical field. When you're there helping someone and that person's life expires, there's something surreal. There's something, uh, there's something about that that again reminds us of the brevity of life. That life, this body will come to an end. This body will cease to function as we know it today. And so if you had one year to live, what would you do differently? Well, preparing to die is a process of clarity, insight, and closure. Clarity being we understand that this body is going to come to an end. And the insight is that there's an eternal destination. Left or right. And the closure is it'll be over. It'll be final. It'll come to, that's it. So if you had only one year to live, what would you do? 
Here's another quote is, the future is rapidly becoming the present, and the present will soon be the future. Now think that through again. The future is rapidly becoming the present. We, we see death as something, I don't know, some of us are in our 50s, we still see it out there somewhere. I don't know how old I want to become. Sometimes I don't want to become much older, and another time, you know, life is real. We kind of want to live another day. But the future is rapidly becoming the present. And the present will rapidly become the future. According to what we read, in a few days, as the lily rise, soon as it's cast into the furnace, it passes on. So in, in all reality and the reality of God, in a very short time, each one of us here will have passed on. In a very short time. So soon what we see as future will be now. What we see as future will be now. Here's a quote from that first set that I was listening to from the secular viewpoint. He says, unforgiveness, and I found this interesting from a non-Christian perspective that they understand forgiveness. Unforgiveness and resentment make a dying, pers- a dying person unlovable. Now there must be something about that within us that make a dying person irritable. Uh, it seems like it must, it must accumulate at that point. Responding to death brings about a different attitude than when we react to death. Maybe we have picked up more of the world's reaction to death than we realize. Or are we actually okay with the thought that I might, within the next year, pass on to my eternal reward? And like I said earlier, the disappointments that we face might be the appointments of God. Some of that doesn't make sense. Because it doesn't seem fair that God takes a young mother or a young father out of home. That doesn't make sense. Or that God allows other calamities in a family. It doesn't make sense. A young child or whatever it might be. Let's go back into 2 Peter chapter 3. As we think of reacting to death or responding to death, let's read the first 14 verses of chapter 3. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in, in both which, to stir, I, which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of, the, of, us, apostle, of us the apostles of the Lord and, Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. Now this is what they're going to be doing. And saying... Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all these things, all all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens with the earth the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition unto un, of ungodly men but beloved 
Now, this is Peter again coming back. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, or to change our life, or reverse it. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night of which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the world, the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation, or in your, your walk of life, and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. And so now if we are what Peter is referring to there, we are not reacting to death, but we're looking forward to death. It's like a returning home. It's like a going back. Yes, we understand that there's going to be, there's, there'll be pain involved. There's physical pain involved because that's how God created us. But are we willing, are we allowing the things of this life to distract us away from looking forward to eternity? Now, our forefathers, those that were dying for their faith, I don't think had that problem. Because to be here meant more pain. To go to glory meant the ending of the physical pain. And so they could look forward even from that. That's actually kind of a selfish view of it. But they were willing to do it because they loved their Savior and they were loved of their Savior. So what is distracting us from looking forward to eternity? Is it the goals that I have set to accomplish in life so that I can say like the the rich man did, that I can now set back, I can coast along a while, things are taken care of, I don't have to worry about life anymore? Is it, are we, I I just thought of some things that I think that Christians might get involved with that, that distract us from looking forward to eternity. And I thought of end time prophecy. You hear a lot of that. You read a lot of it in the secular. This is exactly how it's going to happen. It's going to be thus, 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 and thus. There's no questions and it might differ from how we believe. Well, you know, my, my, I'm like I keep telling my Sunday school class, I'm pretty naive when it comes to understanding prophecy. It's just not my cup of tea. But there's one thing clear to me, how it is isn't going to change my eternal destiny. And so to allow that to distract me from my walk with the Lord, I think is a trick of Satan. How Christ will come, how it will be in those last, that last, at, last, at the end of time, really is not that important. What the Bible says is that if I'm faithful unto the end. And so now I can look forward to that. I don't have to dread, am I believing it right or am I believing it wrong? Other things that might distract me from looking forward to eternity might be bitterness and resentment. Because we read earlier that a bitter person is miserable in death. Or it might be pride and jealousy that's distracting me. I, you know, I've got to, there's some things I have to accomplish yet in life. We want to get this bought. We want to get that done. We want to build this. We, we, I mean, we, after all, we've got to provide for our family. We've got things to do. And I'm not taking away from that. The Bible says a man that doesn't work shouldn't eat. And so there is a, there's a balance there that I think we need to find. Are you content with where you're at in life? Now coming to the second part of my message and looking at that, the book, The Dream Giver, or listening to the, the audios of that by Bruce Wilkinson, 
he refers to the dream that God gives us as what we would call the will or the purpose that God gives us. He calls it a dream because the reason he does is he says it seems like so many Christians are dreaming of becoming what God wants them to be rather than being what God has created them to do and be. And he says everyone is born with a dream. We all have a purpose in life. Are you living the dream God has given you? Is that what you meant? Everyone is born with a dream. Everyone is born with a dream. Are we living that dream? Now remember what I said, that what he refers to as a dream is not some fantasy that you have, but a purpo- the reason God placed you here, that's the dream. Each one of us was placed here for a purpose. It might be exactly where we're at. And it might not be. He says it this way, the dream is a special work for you to do that if it's left undone will greatly hinder God's will for you. I can still be a believer, but I'm not accomplishing what God placed me here to do. Paul could have been a, become a converted Sanhedrin. Paul could have become, and then there was believers. We see Nicodemus. There was different ones in the Jewish leadership that were Christians. Paul could have become converted and stayed there. But go into Acts chapter 9. Now, I'm sharing this message more as... Uh, I was trying to think how I was going to explain this. More as a request, I guess, for you to help me find my way. If, if that's how I want to say it. Lil and I were talking about this and, and wondering what really does God want of us in life. And he does go on to say that sometimes we allow the things of this life to, to weigh us down so that we actually kind of lose sight of that vision and become so, so uh, locked in that it seems like we can't hardly go and, 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 or we can't hardly become that. It doesn't mean that we have to go. It doesn't mean we have to leave northern Indiana. It might. But it doesn't mean that. But if you go back into, in Acts chapter 9 and verse, I think it's in verse, uh, verse 6. This is after Paul's conversion there. I mean, after he was knocked down and it says in verse 5, And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now this is Paul again. He says, And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Now, you jump over to Acts chapter 19. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit and I lost my reference there. But somewhere he was mentioning, it's later I think, where he was mentioning this to... Uh, it's act, it's uh, Acts chapter 26, verse 19. Where Paul was again sharing his, his testimony, sharing his conversion with with the King Agrippa, and he says, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto that heavenly vision. Now, what was that heavenly vision? He asked Jesus, Jesus there on the Damascus Road, What wilt thou have me to do? Now, have I actually, have we actually come to that point where we just came to the end and said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Yes, I think we have. But have I maybe not quite gone that and followed that totally to its end. 
I talked about the desert or where, where David had to go for quite a while, even after he was anointed king. He had to go out in the desert. He had to live what wouldn't be a kingly life. He had to watch not only his front, but also his back. Are you ready to make the choices that fulfill God's dream for you? God has a special work for each one of us. Now I'm wondering, am I there? And I guess by asking that question, you know I have a question. I'm not up here saying with 100% that I am exactly where I think God wants me to be, because I'm not sure, to be honest with you. And one of, one of Bruce Wilkinson's uh, quotes is that, ask others to help you find your will. In other words, in the multitude of counsel, there is wisdom. I don't have to go out on some trail, well, this is God's will for me, and, it's, and others are saying no. But neither do we want to become, as he refers to the bullies that we face in the Christian life, we're saying, oh, you don't want to go to El Salvador. I remember, I remember exactly where, where Dad and, and, and your mom, Mabel, were standing when they shared it with the Burke Corner family that you're going to go to El Salvador. And I found it interesting what you shared about that the other last Sunday, Thomas, about how, Dad, how you felt that you couldn't have been blessed any richer by staying here. I remember one of the aunts and uncles coming up to Dad and saying, are you sure you want to go that far with your family? Now, there's two things that cause a bully, and I refer to that as a bully. One is it spikes within them the, the realization that I may not be where God wants me, and so they're reacting. They don't neither do they want you to be there. But it can also be of Satan to try and hinder us from and scare us from leaving what he calls ordinary. Being back there in ordinary, where everything is, where everything feels right, where we know exactly what we did yesterday, we know what we're going to do tomorrow. Did God reveal to everyone in the in the Bible what their whole life would be before they chose to walk with Him? No. When He anointed David as king as a young man, did He reveal to him that he was going to have to run for his life? No. <clears throat> But he did as he went along. He gave him that direction. Everyone faces obstacles as they prepare for their dream. Now let's go back to James chapter 1. What does he say there in the first couple of verses? Begin in verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Have you given up on your dream? In verse 2 there, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. It almost seems like it's 
like it's a happenstance, but that word, that's exactly what it means, but it means to be surrounded with. So now let's read it that way. My brethren, count it all joy when ye are surrounded with divers temptations. And temptations means, according to the Greek, the putting to proof. In other words, a temptation is, are you what you say you are? If I, if I am what I say I am, I won't yield to it. If I'm not what I say I am, I probably will. So it's a putting to test, or we could say it that way. Knowing this, in verse 3, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Now, what is your faith? I think what he's referring to is our commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, that I am now one of his. That's my faith. And as he says in Hebrews, it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, but we've experienced in our heart what forgiveness is. We know what it is. We know what it feels to have that burden taken off of us. Then he says in verse 4, And let patience have her perfect work, or her perfect means full age, or let let it take its course. Let it take its course. We're ready to move on. We don't, we don't like living out there in the desert. We don't like being out there where, there's no, where we can't accomplish anything. But he says that ye may be perfect and entire or complete in every part, in every part or whole, wanting nothing. So maybe now as we have gone through that, now we are prepared to do what God wanted us to do. We were talking in Sunday school how you know, Paul as a young man was more... Uh, Forget the word that we used. He was more like, this is how it is and this is how it's going to be. As he mellowed and mellowed with his age, it was more like he had a compassion that he maybe didn't have earlier. Now, every one of us, according to Bruce Wilkerson, every one of us is going to go through verses 2, 3, and 4 in our journey to fulfilling what God has called us. And maybe even during the course of our journey, we need to come back to this school of learning this school of commitment, this school of giving up. And he says, and it's interesting, so I'll let you judge where you're at in the desert, how deep your desert was, how far God took you out in the desert. He says the the deeper or the bigger the calling, the deeper or the longer the stay in the desert. Because it takes us longer to prepare for what God has for us. Now, Maybe in real honesty to share what I had shared a little bit earlier. Uh, recently, I was, I think it was with my employer, we were discussing this, and I had shared that it's, it seems like we're just in, in, in limbo waiting. And, and I found in that limbo waiting a restlessness that, that was not drawing me closer to be God to God, but maybe becoming more frustrated with God? Like, what do you want us to do? Just Are we just here coasting along until you take us home? Don't you have a purpose and a will for us? And I came across this thought, and it's really been an encouragement to me, that while you're waiting, do. And that just erased that. While I'm waiting, do. Be. Don't worry that God's not taking me way out here on some pinnacle so that everybody can hear me preach but while I'm waiting be in God's will and that has really brought a peace to me because now it's taken the focus off of what wilt thou have me to do as a something way out here by itself but a journey that he wants to take me on
Do we have obligations that are holding us back? Could be. Most of us have a debt load that might be holding us back from accomplishing God's work for us. Most of us have families. That's the plan of God. That's instituted of God. That's not an excuse. But we allow it to become one at times. Well, you know, we've got children. We've got a family we need to provide for. That's true. But it says that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Does that mean I just go out here and say, you need to pay my bills? No. But it is saying maybe I'm allowing things in this life to keep me from becoming what God created me to be. To do what we most love requires to do what we most fear. Now, if we go into 1 John chapter 4, and you know where I'm going, you know what verse 18 says. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. And so he's saying that it's harder to leave, it's, it's what we love most, or what we most love, requires to do what we most fear. Now, he gave the example of that as, as he started to speak and to share what he had. He had a, he had a ministry of, uh, of studying the Bible that he shared with many people. And he said, I was so deathly afraid of getting out from behind the pulpit or even letting go of it that he said it actually hindered my talk, my, my presentations or my messages. So he said, I took a piece of black electrical tape and I went out each side 10 feet and I put a little X there. Then when my wife, I told my wife, whenever you want me to move, you nod your head. So he said, as she we sat there, and I just opened up the message, and she nodded to the left. Well, he said, I was so paranoid I had to stop speaking, walk over to that point before I could continue to speak. But he said what it did is it broke me out of that physical fear that I was afraid of what people would think of me. So what we love most or what we most love requires to do what we most fear. Now, there's a blessing in that because it brings humility. If I really felt like I have a message that the world should hear, and and I'm not saying this in a negative way, but if I really felt like I am somebody and people need to sit down and listen, then I probably should be the one that's sitting down. But if I really really have that fear of God in me, that, that will always, what that does is it helps us immediately to focus back on God. God, I can't do this. Only by you can I do this. And so we're not looking at our own accomplishments, but we're continually looking back to God for direction and blessing. Now we can rest. Even though it's out of our comfort zone, we can rest that what we're doing presently is what God has for us. And what that does is it causes us to 24-7 look back to God. God, help me. God, I need your direction. God, I, I can't go through this day without you. But it's hard to leave that comfort zone. But you know, he says it's harder not to. Because now we're sitting there and we're frustrated. Lord, what do you want me to do? We're here waiting. Nothing's happening. Well, actually, he's waiting on me. Actually, he's waiting on you. Because, you know, there's a battle going on. Satan doesn't want us to fulfill the will of God. Because that affects his kingdom. Not just me, but his kingdom. 
But God brings inner peace that cannot be matched when I work for his kingdom. Thought of Isaac and Abraham. Bruce Wilkerson mentions that God then at times requires us to give that dream back to him. Now we know the story of Abraham and Isaac, but Abraham didn't. Isaac didn't. But God, after he had finally given Abraham his promise, Abraham could finally rest that in a very slow way, I'm going to have more more descendants than the stars of the sea or the sand of the sea, stars of the sky. Now all of a sudden that's already coming to an end. But God does that to each one of us to see if we really are willing to follow his will. I don't know, I've often wondered what Abraham went through. I can't believe he just got up and brushed his teeth and grabbed his coat and grabbed some fire and told Isaac, let's go. We're, look, we're going to go out on a hike. But I'm guessing there was a real battle pursued. But he, in the end, was willing to say, Lord, here's your gift. I'm going to give it back to you. And when God seen that he was willing to give it back to him, then God said, well, now you may have it. It's now yours again to enjoy. But I know it's mine because you were willing to give it to me. Unbelief is probably our biggest struggle. We just don't believe that God really wants me to do that or that he can really see me through or that he'll really bless me in that way. It's our biggest hurdle. Remember, trials are not failure, but a battle against Satan. It's not about me. We tend to look at it maybe that it's about me. It's not about me, but it's about Satan. In Romans 8.31 it says, And what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Our dreams may be huge, and they may not be huge. But remember that every dream is to spread God's kingdom. It's never about me. And I found that very interesting, how emphatic he was about that, that the vision that God gives each one of us, the goal that God for our life that God gives each one of us is not to be inverted. It's always to reach out to others. And so if I'm thinking this is my goal, and all it is is to accumulate and to, to be a benefit to me, then that's probably not God's will for me. But if your goal, your mission, your passion in life is to help out and reach others, then you're probably on that track. And it may be in a very minute way. It may be taking care of an elderly neighbor lady. It may be taking care of someone that's dying of cancer. It may be whatever it might be. It may be providing work for other people. Whatever it is, if it benefits other people, then God is using you in that way. He gives this example He was trying to help a a very professional man understand that God has placed within the heart of each person a dream. But he said, I could not get it across to him. So he said, we went to a restaurant to eat at a a restaurant that I was very familiar with, he said. And the waitress came and I greeted her by name. And then he said, I just decided that I was going to let God show to this gentleman that, that everyone has a dream. So he said, I asked the waitress before she even took her order, are you doing exactly what God wants you to do? Let me read my questions right so I'm getting it right. Are you doing what you've always wanted to do? And the, and the waitress said, no, she's not. 
Well, he said, what would you have liked to be? Well, she said, I'd like to be a nurse. My mom was a nurse. My sister was a nurse. And I think God, that I would be a good nurse. Then he goes on to say, would you still like to become a nurse? Well, she said, yes, but, you know, we got married and we have children. We have obligations now and we can't afford it. Then he goes on to ask her, in other words, she was leading up, that there is a dream there, but she has silenced it. Do you believe God wants you to become a nurse? Well, she answered yes. Then he said, what would have to happen for you to become a nurse within the next year? Well, she thought for a while, and she said, well, we can't afford a babysitter. So he said, if someone in your, is there someone in your family that could babysit for free? And he said, all of a sudden, her face lit up, and she said, yes. My mother just retired, and she would love to take care of our children. And he said, she never even took her order. She went over to the other waitresses and told us, I'm going to school. I'm going to become a nurse. All of a sudden, it became real to her that my dream can be reality. All because someone woke it up in her heart again. And so my, my, what I'm wondering this morning, can we do that for each other? Can we help wake up each other's dreams? Can we encourage each other on to pursue that dream? It may be exactly what we're doing. I'm not trying to leave the connotation that none of us here are accomplishing that. We, we may all be there. But probably some of us are, are struggling with an inner feeling that I'm just not sure this is what I do want to do the rest of my life. Now, that is in the connotation of being in the will of God. I may want to do something different because I don't enjoy my job because I don't like being told what to do. And that's not what I'm referring to here. You go back and look at Moses. It says there that when he was born, his mother noticed that he was a goodly child. In other words, he already had there something about him that she realized, we want to save this baby. Moses' life didn't go quite the way it should have. Yes, he was taught. He became a very knowledgeable man. And so he took what he thought was the will of God or God's dream for him into his own hands, and it didn't end up well. He got run out of the country. Now all of a sudden, he's been 40 years out there in this desert and became pretty acclimated to it to where it felt pretty good like home. Now God wants to bring him back. Now God wants to bring him back. Now he wasn't as willing, was he? He had a lot of excuses. You know, I have a slow tongue, and and what are the children? The children of Israel aren't even going to believe me. He had all kinds of excuses. But we realize that God didn't give up on him. And because Moses was willing... Now we have a story that wouldn't have been otherwise like that anyhow. Your dream will always seem overwhelming at first. And as I was trying to, to recognize what might be that dream, or am I in that dream, and what it is that it might be overwhelming about, it helps us to understand that it's not about me. That's what's one clue that keeps coming back that if my dream is centered on me, then it's not the dream of God. Ways to find your dream is to ask these questions. What have I always been good at? What needs do I care about most? Do I admire, what do I admire most? What makes me feel most fulfilled? What do I love to do most? What have I felt called to do? 
What legacy do I want to leave for my family? And he calls the people that never seek the will of God or never step out on that dream nobodies because they don't accomplish anything. But then also we use that as a crutch. Well, I'm just a nobody. I, I could never do that. I could never be the bishop of a church or I could never be, you know, work at a hospital or I could never, whatever we might want to put in there. That God loves nobodies. Because nobodies recognize that they're calling When they're willing to step out, they recognize that their calling is bigger than they can do themselves. And so it immediately brings us back to God. Let's remember it's God's work. And live to achieve the great things to the glory of God. And our prayer could be this. Make me the person you created me to be to do the work you created me to do. And if you had only one year to live, what would you do? And when you prepare to die, we must change our goals in life. Let's kneel for prayer. Father, this morning as we look at this admonition and recognize you not only sent your Savior and your Son to die, my Savior, your Son, to die for me and to redeem me. And then that was going to be all. We're just happy-go-lucky from then to eternity. But that you had a greater purpose and plan, even from the beginning of creation, even before I was created, even before I was born. And even through my growing up years, Lord, you had a plan for me to accomplish your perfect will and your work. And Father, I just again this morning plead for your direction, your wisdom, your guidance, and the guidance and direction and wisdom of those around me, and that we may be that for each other, that we can encourage each other on in the work that you have for us in accomplishing your will, and that will would be to draw others closer to you or come to you in the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's not about me, it's not about what I can accomplish, but it's about you and what you have accomplished in my life and why you want that to be shared with others. Give us that vision again, Lord, to, to allow you to redeem, to bring back to life, that which we have maybe stifled, that which we have maybe put on the back burner because we thought it couldn't happen. Make it possible for us, Lord. Bring people into our lives that help us to accomplish that work and walk with you. And we thank you for that. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.